Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influences Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influences.church. And now for our message. Going to jump right into it. Psalm 100 says this. Psalm 100. We're going to read the whole thing. It says this. It's okay if we read some Bible in church. Some of you are like, no. Psalm 100 says this. Make a joyful noise. Everyone say joyful. Say it with a smile on your face, joyful. Some of you, I'm gonna get you tonight. I'm gonna get you happy in church. I'm going after you. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Who knows, if you're gonna be in church, you should be happy about it. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. Can you see the subtle hint? You're not. It is He who made us. And we are His. We're His people and the sheep of his pasture, God loves Kiwis too. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. You know, on the surface, it seems really strange to me that the God of the Bible commands us to worship him. I mean, if any human leader commanded our worship, we would kind of think that would would be a little bit weird, right? And so how can God in one moment be loving and selfless and generous and then in the next moment be so seemingly self-absorbed? You ever thought about that? It's kind of weird that God commands us to worship Him. In other words, God is like, worship me. Tell me how good I am. Sing to me. Thank me. Praise me. Bless my name. Who knows, if any pastor in this church did that, you would be reporting them for ego. I mean, this is weird that God commands us to do it. If any human acted like this, it would be strange. And so what's up with worship? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, what's the deal with the Sunday church karaoke that we do each week and God's insistence that the playlist be all about Him? Have you ever wondered this? Like, is God so insecure? that he needs our worship and praise. It is maybe God's love language is words of affirmation. And that's why we say nice things about him at the start of every Sunday service. Maybe our kind words prop up God's otherwise flailing sense of self-esteem. Every Saturday night, he says to the angels, I can't wait till tomorrow, I'm gonna feel so much better about myself. So what's the deal with worship and why would God command it? I hope we're gonna answer that question tonight. To answer this, we have to start not by thinking about worship and songs, but we have to start by thinking about God. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible or the Christian depiction or or understanding of God, it tells us that God is eternal. God is uncreated and God is self-sufficient. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live in unbroken, perfect, divine community within the Godhead. One of the names for God, which I think is kind of weird, God reveals himself by the name, I am, full stop. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I am. You know, God is the only one who can call himself the I am and put a full stop at the end of those two words. You see, God needs no one and God needs nothing in order to exist. God can simply say, I am, end of the sentence. Whereas if you were to talk about Dustin, 
you would need to say, well, I am because I have oxygen to breathe. I am because I have food to eat. I am because I have access to clean drinking water. I am because my parents, never mind. And so if you were to talk about me, I am a created being and I am utterly dependent on a whole lot of factors, but God, it is so eternal and divine that God can simply say, I am, and that's the end of the sentence. You see, the Bible says that in Him, we live and move and have our being, but it doesn't mean that the opposite is true. You see, God is the eternal, uncreated one. And so while we are utterly dependent upon Him, He is not really dependent upon us. Do you catch what I'm saying tonight? Now, if that's true, it can only mean that when God created mankind, it was not to make up for some lack within Himself. It's not like God felt this gnawing sense of emptiness and incompleteness in His heart, so decided to have kids. It's not like the house was too quiet and so he needed to you know, create some little ones to kind of fill up for his emptiness, but rather the eternal, self-sufficient, self-existent God created you and I to enjoy the overflow of the divine love which already existed in the Trinitarian community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Don't ask me what that paragraph means. I Googled it and it sounded impressive. Who knows, God doesn't need us, but we absolutely need Him. And when I see this, it actually puts my place in the universe into perspective because it sobers me to the reality that my worship or my lack thereof actually adds nothing to God and subtracts nothing from God. You can think about it this way. Imagine right now, 7.8 billion people on the planet decided to ignore the sun. It's called living in Tasmania. Imagine 7.8 billion people decide we are gonna ignore the sun. We're gonna close our eyes and we're gonna scream at the top of our lungs, darkness! Who knows if every person on the planet closed their eyes, ignored the sun and screamed darkness. Here's a question, what would the sun do? Answer, rise tomorrow morning. Because who knows, the sun exists independent of our acknowledgement. And in the same way, God exists and continues to be, whether we worship Him or not, independent of our acknowledgement. So with this in mind, it can only be that when God commands you and I to worship Him, it's not for His sake, but rather it must be for our sake. Can you see how God is so loving? God is so complete. God is so generous that even when He commands us to worship Him, it's actually for our own sake. Now, the truth be told, most of us have probably not thought that much about worship. We think that worship is uh, music, or we think that worship is church songs, or we think that worship is what those people do on stage right before I arrive at the bang of 5.20 every Sunday. We're not quite sure what worship is, but I'm convinced that if we understood worship, we would engage in it with a lot more intention. And so from this psalm, let me share with you four reasons why I need to worship. Number one is this, if you're taking notes, I need to worship because it develops joy in me. It develops joy in me. Now, I've heard people in church say, well, I'm not really a worship type of person. But, but as I read that psalm, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. And, and when I looked at the word all, I looked it up in the Greek and it means 
Oh, I looked for an asterisk next to it because I thought this can't be right because worship is just, you know, for women and artsy men. Surely this, this doesn't include someone like me. But, but I looked it up and, and all literally means all. If you've got breath in your lungs, who knows you're included under the banner of all. Now, when we say oh, I'm not really the worship type of person, I think what we really mean is I'm not really a good singer. Well, firstly, a couple of thoughts on that. Firstly, we know. Notice that they gave these guys mics tonight, but they didn't give us mere mortals on the floor microphones. Secondly, it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, not a tuneful noise to the Lord. Amen. Sometimes I'm driving home from church with my wife, and Sarah will just say, you sung really loudly today. And that's all, because that's all she needs to say. Thirdly, who knows, worship is not an expression of my gift. Worship is an expression of my joy. Let me share just two minutes that I shared in this church 18 months ago, but it ties into this thought. Have you noticed that Christians have got a reputation for singing? People go, ah, oh, you go to that influencers church. It's one of those happy clapper churches, is it? Have you noticed we start every church with singing? We celebrate Christmas with singing. There's a whole genre of music called gospel. Is it that someone spikes the communion every Sunday? Or is there something else going on? Because you need to understand that it's actually unique. Mosques aren't filled with singing because according to traditional Islam, music is illegitimate. In Buddhism, Buddhist monks have spent hundreds and thousands of years trying to silence their minds and their tongues. But you go into any church and you'll find a keyboard, an organ, an orchestra, a choir. What is it about Christianity and singing that is connected? Who knows, it's this. We understand that the message of Jesus is not good advice to be followed, but we understand the message of Jesus is good news to be celebrated. That God doesn't accept us when we're at our best, but even when we're at our worst, Christ died for us. Who knows, we have got a lot to celebrate. Even if you go for the Essendon Football Club, you can still sing because it doesn't matter what else is happening in my world, I've got reason to sing because my joy is not located in the things of this earth, but rather my joy is located in the person of Jesus and what he's accomplished for me. And I might not be a good singer, but I have been a recipient of his grace. And so what worship does is it helps me to have joy. Do you catch what I'm saying tonight? That's why I love a loud, passionate church. That's why I love Influencers Church. It's full of passionate people. I, I hate quiet church. I hate silent, so, oh, just got really quiet. Silent, sullen, dour church services because who knows, it's false advertising for heaven. Because when you get to heaven, it's not gonna be sullen and solemn and dour and quiet, but rather it's gonna be people of every nation, tribe and tongue and they are singing praise unto God. And so listen, that's why we understand there's great power in worship because it develops joy in our life. Colossians 3 verse one, Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above not on the things that are on the earth. Listen, isn't that why worship is so powerful? That's why for me, even if I wasn't the pastor, I need to be in church every Sunday 
because my Monday to Saturday can get consumed with the things of this earth, and I'm thinking about the power bill, and I'm thinking about how I've got to replace the gas bottles, and I'm thinking about how the kids are acting up and acting like their mother-in-law, and I'm thinking about all these other things, and I can get so consumed with the things of this earth that I forget that I'm a citizen of heaven. And yet when I come into the presence of God, whether I'm tuneful or not, I can lift my voice and start to set my mind on things above, which is where my joy is centered. Do you catch what I'm saying tonight? Number two is this, I need to worship because it develops reverence in me. Reverence. You know, consumer culture has trained us to think that wherever we go, whatever room we're in, whatever we're doing, the value of the experience is measured by what we get out of it. And here's the deal. We then bring that same mindset to church on Sunday. And then many of us leave the service feeling shortchanged. I talk to some people in the foyer and they say things like, well, I didn't get much out of worship today. And, and I kind of have to try to stop laughing and I have to let them know, sorry, I wasn't aware. I, I didn't see your name on the lyrics this morning because we actually weren't singing about you. And who knows, for people who are thoroughly baptized in consumer culture, it's a shock that any experience would not be about us. Because whether me, myself, and I generation and everything about our society is mollycoddling us into believing that everything should be about us and our experience and our feelings, but who knows, there is one greater than us who deserves all the praise, the attention, and the honor. Who knows, there's gotta be an adjustment of our mindset. This is why worship is so powerful because it can deliver us from consumerism. Psalm 100 verse three, notice it says, know that the Lord, He is God. He made us, we're His, we're His people the sheep of his pasture. Can you see that they make the same point three ways? Know that the Lord, he is God. That's hint number one. He made us, we're his, that's hint number two. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. That's hint number three. He's trying to point out the relationship dynamics. Creator, creature. Shepherd, sheep. God, not God. And who knows, we all need to be reminded of that because we spend a lot of our life believing that we are. You know, what worship does is it reminds me that when it comes to God and Belle, we're not peers. We're not, we're not buddies. But, but God is of a far higher order. You, you see, have you noticed, anyone here, you've been in church for more than 20 years, give us a wave. You've been in church for more than 20 years, awesome. Have you noticed that, that terms like reverence and fear have actually fallen out of the modern Christian vocabulary. And, and I actually think it, it can contribute towards a casual or slack attitude when it comes to worship. Now, I think, let, let me just explain my thoughts on this. I think one of the reasons for this is that we've used Jesus' humility against him. Let me explain. In one chapter, everyone say one chapter. In one chapter of one gospel, in one verse, in John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus pays you and I the most unthinkable compliment of calling us friends. He does it once. Matt Walsh, the American author, he says this on this verse. He says, it's an expression of supreme humility on his part, and it's actually all the more reason for us to fall at his feet in gratitude and worship. But we've latched onto this description, ignoring the many instances in Scripture where we're called servants, slaves, and sheep to extrapolate a new and quite flattering interpretation of our status in the order of things. It's like we've conflated friend with peer. Think about it this way. Uh, I've got a five-year-old son, Hugo. I think there'll be a photo of him on screen. 
And uh, I might say that I'm a friend to my five-year-old son, Hugo, but, but I actually don't mean that as a statement of democratic equality. Nor am I de-emphasizing my authority over him. I call Hugo friend as an expression of my love and affection for him. I'm his friend because I care for him and I've got his best interests at heart. But who knows, that doesn't make Hugo my peer. Imagine after church tonight, Hugo introduces himself to a group of his buddies, a bunch of his friends, and he says, hey guys, hey guys, gets all of his five-year-old friends around, hey guys, meet my buddy, Dustin. Who knows, I can assure you there won't be any McDonald's on the way home from church tonight if he does that. Because who knows, I'm always his dad first, not his buddy. And it actually does Hugo good to remember that. And in the same way, Jesus calls us friends, not because we're his buddies, but because he cares for us. Who knows, he's not my buddy Jesus, he's actually my Lord and my God. And so I should approach him with reverence and obedience and awe. You know, I think that sometimes our self-centered understanding of Jesus' friendship with us has made our faith a far too casual and easygoing affair. We stroll into church with a latte. Ah, let's see what they got today. It's a bit loud. Man, that worship leader, can he, his sleeves, can they get any shorter? I mean, that's a tight shirt. Yeah, they've done this song before. And we stroll up to the divine and we look upon him with a jaded familiarity, approaching Jesus like he's a work colleague or a high school friend. But when I read the Bible and I see people who encountered the presence of God, Isaiah cries out in fear and awe and says, woe is me. John fell at the feet of Jesus like a dead man. Peter fell at Jesus' knees and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Who knows, whenever people encountered the reality of the presence of God, their response was one of awe and reverence and fear. Hebrews 12 verse 28 says this, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Is this helping anyone tonight? Can I provoke you? <laughs> Some of you are like, yes. If someone was watching religions from the outside, it would make sense that they'd take Islam more seriously. It's got really quiet. This could be the last time I'm preaching at Influencers. It's been great knowing you. Well, let me, let me say it this way, because at least Muslims appear to take Islam seriously. A Muslim who prays five times a day, lying prostrate on the ground, is at least acting like a person would act if they really believed in God. Whereas a Christian who rarely prays at all, never on his knees, goes to church every three weeks and mostly to socialize, is acting like a person would act if he didn't actually believe in his God at all. And if the Christian doesn't really act like he believes it, why on earth would the outsider even bother with it? Is that too harsh, Josh? Let's take a lesson from the sons of Korah in Scripture. In Numbers chapter 16, Korah gathers about 250 leaders with him and they take an issue with Moses and Aaron. They say, why should Moses and Aaron be treated like they're special and they've got authority? Everyone in the community is holy and God is among us all. Who knows, Korah lost sight of the fact that God is holy. God is sovereign. God doesn't need to explain his decisions to us and God can choose whoever he wants. Korah lost his sense of awe and reverence and what it bred was a toxic type of familiarity and entitlement. 
and God won't have it. And so Moses says, tomorrow, God's gonna show you who are his. And so the next day, Korah and his family go to one side of the camp. Moses, Aaron, and the congregation go to the other side of the camp. And then we get Numbers 16.31. It says, as soon as Moses had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. That's why you should never miss a Sunday in church. <laughs> Seriously, you don't know what's gonna happen. You know, the sons of Korah never forgot the lesson. Psalm 47, verse one. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Who knows, in our day and age, where entitlement and familiarity is spreading like a cancer, and fewer and fewer things are believed to be sacred, who knows, it does me good to keep a sense of reverence in my life. He is God, not me. He's the creator, I'm the creation. He's the shepherd, I'm the sheep. Listen, the sons of Korah, if they had the mic tonight, would say, bro, clap your hands. Shout with songs of joy. Sing praises, he is holy. Because listen, this is not about me, it's about him. And worship reminds my ego that that's true. Number three is this, I need to worship because it develops thankfulness in me. It develops thankfulness in me. Um, sometimes, you know, if I'm bored, you go out to a restaurant at night and just watch couples who are having first dates. You ever done that? It's really awkward. And, and, and they're like, they're there, they're like, they're in the proximity, proximity of one another, but they're not connecting. Or, or, or more sadly, you see couples or families out at dinner at a restaurant and they're just on their phone the whole time. And it's like, you're... You're in proximity, but there's no connection. And, and I think sometimes we do the same with God. We're in the same room, but there's, there's no connection. And, and, and we can kind of think that location guarantees connection, but who knows, location doesn't guarantee connection. You can come to church, but not really connect. Well, why is that? I think it's because sometimes we come to church and we think, well, God kind of owes me one because I'm in his house. And I'm a pretty busy guy, and I'm here, and I'm giving up Sunday morning TV or, you know, 60 minutes tonight to be here. So, you know, he kind of owes me a favor or two. But look what the Bible says. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. We tend to stand at the gates in the vicinity of the presence of God, but not connecting and not entering in. And why? It's because we come with a list of demands rather than coming with a mouthful of gratitude towards God. Who knows, the way into the presence of God is not, God, I want you to do this. God, I need you to do that. Who knows, the way into the presence of God is thanksgiving and praise and gratitude because it brings an awareness of his presence into the room. Who knows, we can all do better with a little more gratitude in our heart. Um, in about 2017, we were, my wife and I, getting ready to move to South Africa. And uh, any South Africans here tonight? Look at that, thousands. Um, and we were getting ready to move to South Africa and, and that meant I probably did about half a dozen, half a dozen trips back and forth to South Africa uh, before we moved there as a family. And have you noticed, anyone who travels for work, have you noticed that the moment you travel, like literally the day you leave, your kids get sick? Have you noticed that? Like the healthy, 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 fly out sick. And so I remember flying into Sydney, I had to spend a night at a hotel there, and uh, just as I've flown out, Hugo is sick, and he's gotta go to hospital, and so Sarah is stressing. And it's kind of a powerless feeling when you're away from home, your kid is sick and there's nothing you can do. Can I be, be really honest, confessions of a pastor? I got pretty ticked at God. You ever been ticked at God? Don't amen. 
I know you have. You ever been ticked at God? God, seriously, like all the South Africans are coming to Australia and the one Aussie who's going to South Africa and you let my kids get sick. God, um, can't you see what I'm doing here? God, I'm doing my best for you. And you couldn't even look. This is getting turning into a therapy session. Thanks for being here today. And, and, and honestly, I started to get pretty resentful towards God. And then I started to get angry and I felt powerless and I felt frustrated. And I thought, you know what I need to do? I need to worship. And, and don't think that I'm perfect because I don't do this enough. But, but I put worship on in my hotel room and just thought, you know what? It's time to just give the devil hell. And so I'm gonna take the next half an hour and just worship Jesus. I kid you, I felt the presence of God fill that hotel room. And I started to prophesy about the future of the campus and what God was gonna do in South Africa and souls are gonna get saved and the university is gonna get reached and people are gonna get helped. I tell you, it was a turning point in my spirit because I decided, you know what? I'm not gonna get full of resentment. I'm gonna get full of gratitude towards God. And if you wanna experience God's presence, the password in is the word thank you into his presence. And so gratitude, I need gratitude in my soul and worship is the way that I do it. Number four, the final thought is this, I need to worship because it develops strength in me. Strength in me. The psalmist said the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I wonder if you've ever thought or felt this. Yeah, like, Pastor, I believe in God, but I, I just don't feel like He's real. How honest can we be? Give us a wave if you've ever felt like, I don't feel God. Give me a wave if you've been like, I'm doing my faith, but I'm not feeling God. A few honest people. I don't feel like God's real. And to be honest, I don't feel God's goodness. Well, I get that. You know, it's when you're walking through coals, when you're scrolling Instagram, when you're watching TV, you don't often feel the reality of the presence of God surging into your being. Truth be told, in most of our everyday moments, God feels too extraordinary, too immense, too supernatural to be real. And we all get so bogged down in the minutia of daily life that, to be honest, we start to think of God as a fantastic, unbelievable myth. We'd never verbalize that, because we're Christians. But, but it just feels so disconnected from our everyday life that we start to wonder about it. But, but think of this, in those same moments, does it feel like there are 200 billion galaxies in the universe? Does it feel like space is filled with planets and stars and black holes and a billion other marvels? Does it feel like dinosaurs once roamed the earth? Does it feel like the pyramids are real? Does it feel like ancient Rome ever existed? Who knows when you're sitting on a tra in traffic in, on a Tuesday afternoon, can you feel the depths of the ocean? Can you feel the immensity of the Amazonian rainforest? Can you feel the complexity of the human brain? Who knows, nobody denies that these things exist. And yet in the humdrum moments of life, we don't feel like we live in a world that is that awesome. But we do. Here's the point. Feelings are not always a reliable guide to ultimate reality. And we need to be aware of this because we're living in a world which is becoming increasingly led by feelings and emotions. I think that the highlight, the emphasis on mental health is a very good thing that's helped a lot of people. But if there is a flip side, it can be that we've become too emotionally driven. 
too led and dictated to by our feelings. And we need to become aware of this because we can slip into a way of life where our feelings govern the way that we approach God. Hebrews 13, 15, and I'm closing, says this, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess His name. What's a sacrifice of praise? It's when your flesh and your emotions don't want to praise. I'm tired. I don't feel like it. Who knows, a sacrifice of praise is when you sacrifice your feelings to give worship to God. Think about Jesus the night before His crucifixion. He knows He's about to get crucified. He is wracked with stress. Peter's gonna deny Him. Judas is gonna betray Him. And the Bible says that Jesus sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. He went to Gethsemane. There He was so stressed and anxious and troubled. But the Bible says that Jesus sung worship and He prayed. Look at what Jesus said in that context. He said, hey, Boys, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus never let feelings dictate his behavior. But the Bible says through worship and prayer, he strengthened his spirit. And instead of being ruled by the feelings of his flesh, Jesus ruled over the feelings of his flesh. Notice when the Roman guard came to arrest him, when the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus and take him to trial, they didn't find Jesus falling apart, holding hands with Peter, acting as his support person. Listen, who knows when the Roman guard came, Jesus stood with shoulders back and said, who do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He said, I am He. And the Bible says they drew back and they fell to the ground. Who knows, Jesus was still going to the cross, but He was no longer going under the weight of sorrow and anxiety. You see, worship and prayer didn't change the situation, but it did change Him. And you and I are spirit and flesh, alloy composition beings. And each part of you is fighting for ascendancy. And so I wanna encourage you, Influencers Church, don't let your flesh dominate your spirit. And here's what happens when I worship God, I strengthen my inner man, I strengthen my spirit man. And I say, you know what? I know that the Lord, He is good. I might not feel it, I might not sense it, but I know that He is good. And His love endures to every generation. And so you might say, well, I don't really get into that clapping, singing kind of stuff. It's, it's not really who I am. Listen, it might not be who your flesh is, but it is who your spirit is. And so the sons of Korah would say, come on, clap your hands, lift your hands, lift your voice, start to worship Him. Psalm 138 verse three says this, on the day I called, not thought, not wondered, not wished, on the day I called, you answered me and my strength of soul, you increased. Who knows, that's why I need to worship. Because when I worship, it puts flesh in its place. It puts entitlement in its place. It puts pride in its place. It puts familiarity in its place. It puts apathy in its place. But more powerfully, it puts Jesus in His rightful place. And it puts joy in its place and gratitude in its place and my identity in its place and faith in its place. Is there anyone here tonight and you need to worship? Come on, why don't we stand to our feet tonight? Who knows, we serve an amazing God. And we just wanna take a couple of minutes right now to worship Him together. And you know, I really think some of us, we need to blow the cobwebs out because it's been a while. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. 
You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty for my mistakes and my past, and His life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did, and when you invite Him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm going to say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what? Maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace and the word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey. Why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you. And we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.